Welcome to South Dakota Specialty Producers podcast series, Fresh Bites. I'm your host, Laura Kaler with SDSPA. The South Dakota Specialty Producers Association is made up of growers, consumers, and others interested in producing, marketing, and supporting South Dakota's specialty crops, meats, and locally made products. Located outside Minneapolis and St. Paul, the Good Acre Food Hub serves producers and consumers in their region. Going beyond simply connecting farmers with wholesale market needs, the Good Acre is also all about educating and supporting their producers, training school kitchen staff, and helping individuals in their region to enjoy food that was produced by their neighbor. With us today is Nikki Warner, the Good Acre Communications Director, to share their story. Good morning, Nikki. How are you doing today? Hi, doing great. Wonderful. Can you start off, when the Good Acre started in 2015, who was involved and what goals did they have in the development of it? Sure, yeah. So um, the Good Acre was started by members of the Polad family uh, with support from their foundation. Um, they provided us with the seed funding and really an attention to develop a multifaceted initiative to improve the local food system, uh, especially for diverse, independent, small farmers, and to help increase access to healthy produce for all consumers, regardless of income. So in 2013, land that would become our home was purchased on Larpenter Avenue in Falcon Heights. We're right by the University of Minnesota St. Paul campus, right by the state fairgrounds. Um, we were granted our 501c3 nonprofit status in 2014. And then uh, in the fall of 2015, construction in our facility was completed and we opened our doors for business. What does your facilities consist of? We have uh, about 4,700 square feet of warehouse floor space. Um, in the warehouse, we also have um, cold storage and freezer storage. We've got about 45,000 cubic feet of cold storage spread between three coolers. We also have an 800 square foot kitchen um, and we have a classroom space about the same size. Um, our facility is uh, certified organic by MICA. Um, and we also have a GAP certification through the USDA. What a fantastic space. Many of our listeners are more rural in South Dakota. And so I imagine our farms also look a little different. Can you tell me about the farmers and farms that you are working with? I'd say the majority of um, the farmers that we work with are farming uh, specialty crop produce on about 10 acres or less. Uh, a lot of our farmers rent as opposed to owning their own land. We also do work with um, some other food producers. We work with a few different small businesses um, to provide wholesale offerings year round. So mushrooms, um, meats. We also work with, um, you know, a few of the makers in our shared use commercial kitchen. So hot sauce makers, uh, fermenters, um, all kinds of different, you know, locally made food products that you might find at a farmer's market. We are able to kind of sell those items through our wholesale um, order portal as well. When a producer reaches out with interest in selling through the Good Acre, what does the process look like for them to get started? Farmers are interested in working with the Good Acre to sell produce. The first step is to fill out our new producer application on our website. Um, 
we ask questions, you know, like how many acres of um, produce do you grow? Do you rent? Do you own? How long you've been farming? Just a few questions so we can really get to know you and your operation. And then from there, our farm programs manager will usually um, reach out to talk about um, what kind of products you're interested in selling through our food hub. Um, and then we start to match that up with what our needs uh, or what some of the needs of our wholesale buyers are and if it's a good fit. Um, anyone can work with us. Um, we don't charge a fee for people to work with us. Um, it's just more of um, trying to find that match between having enough uh, farmers to supply produce for the wholesale buyers that we are doing outreach to. And that's something I've always been curious about. How do you figure out the balance of determining what the need is from the consumers or the schools and then matching that to what the producers are able to provide you with? Right, right. Yeah, that's always kind of the, the challenge. So um, with many of our growers, we are able to contract at the beginning of the growing season. So we work really closely with our wholesale buyers to... Um, get an estimate of like what we can, what they're going to need and when. Um, with some of our school contracts, we can kind of work backwards from like how many servings they'll need to serve and work that back towards case size. Um, we also have a wholesale buyer with a ton of experience. So in, in one way, it's kind of a skill that he's honed over the years. We try to put the the responsibility for, you know, those case size, serving size, conversions onto the buyer because you know you don't know exactly how much uh waste there'll be you know if we're selling like a thousand pounds of butternut squash exactly you know how much of the ends they're going to lop off so it is a delicate there's no magic formula it's just kind of a, a skill that um our wholesale managers honed and that um you know hopefully our buyers are, are more attuned to if they're sourcing local whole unprocessed produce and I imagine that the quality of products that you're getting, it's also important that they're meeting what you expect. So what are some methods that the Good Acre has to be proactive in reducing the amount of waste? Yeah, absolutely. So early on, we knew that farmer support was going to be a huge part of what our food hub does. Um, we have a... Um, we, our farm programs manager has about 20 years of organic farming experience. His experience has been so valuable for a lot of the small farmers that we work with. Um, David does on-farm visits throughout the growing season and is able to help exchange information between farmers, help identify pest issues, help identify sustainable, um, you know, methods of like increasing soil fertility, um, you know, we also are a connector. So, you know, whether it's connecting um, farmers with uh, grant opportunities that we know about or supply um, resources that they may not know about, um, we're there to kind of help the farmer reap a healthy harvest in whatever way that we can. And then do you have standards for what sizes and how you expect the produce to look? We do, and that's a huge part of the um, education and training that we offer. Uh, we created a wholesale standards guide that focuses on um, really like the standards that we're looking for, for maybe the top 10 or 15 uh, crops that we receive through our food hub. 
So, you know, anything from like cucumber length to carrots not being twisted, um, case size, packaging requirements, receiving temperatures and all of that stuff. We have a really handy visual guide um, that we provide to the farmers that we work with so that we, we put that out there up front. Um, so we will have to hopefully reject very little uh, that comes into the, into the food hub. That sounds like a great way of addressing the problem before it's a problem and helping the farmers out. Yeah, exactly. And you can see a link to the wholesale standards guide is actually linked to on our website in the grower support section. You can, you can check it out. Feel what free is to the thegoodacre.org. Yeah. Yes. If you go oh. to the programs tab, go to grower support, you'll see um, there'll be a link to that wholesale resource uh, standards guide. Before all of your producers were working with the Good Acre, um, how were they selling their products? Mm -hmm. Before farmers come to us, oftentimes they are um, just market farmers or direct to consumer through their own um, CSA programs. Um, some of them have dabbled in wholesale themselves, whether it's a relationship that they have with a restaurant uh, or a, a small school district near where their farm is located. Um, but for the most part, farmers who come to us are pretty new to selling for wholesale, which is why we offer so much technical assistance and you know support through, um, through our farm program. And I've heard that the Good Acre has also developed a program to help the producers who lost sales from COVID-19 and everything going on during that time period. Can you outline what LEAF is and how it helps the producers and communities? Yeah, absolutely. So LEAF is our local emergency assistance farmer fund. Um, it's something that we started in 2020 as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, March was the first lockdown markets uh, in our area started to open in June and some markets didn't open at all, especially some of the downtown markets where there was like just no offices open. So there was no, there was no foot traffic. So some of those markets didn't open. Um, and, and market traffic was just markedly diminished because, um, you know, of concerns of like gathering large groups, um, even in outdoor spaces. Um, even today, markets have yet to rebound to pre-pandemic levels. And so that left farmers with a glut of produce that didn't have a market. So with this fund, uh, it's not really a, um, a grant necessarily. It's like a guarantee to purchase a certain amount of produce um, from each farmer approved in the program. Uh, the first year, it was up to $7,500 worth of produce that we would purchase from farmers who applied for funding. Um, they would drop it off to our, our warehouse. We had a list of about 30 to 35 different produce items that we would accept, um, but they drop off at the Good Acre on, on a Wednesday. We had hunger relief partners uh, that were serving not just the metro area, but statewide um, and they would come pick up on, on Fridays and Mondays. So it was really a great way to get local fresh produce into the hunger relief pipeline that didn't exist before. And we were really lucky to get some pandemic funding um, through CARES Act. Um, some foundations were able to support us with, with grants. The Bush Foundation provided us with a grant to help buy um, over $280,000 worth of produce from uh, local small farmers in 2020. Last year, 2021, 
we did not have that $200,000 uh, grant like we had before. So um, we purchased about $178,000 worth of produce through fundraising, through partnerships. Um, and we were still able to distribute the cap for growers was $3,500 or maybe it was $4,500 uh, per approved farmer worth of produce. So we're really hoping to keep that program going um, this year, the hunger, you know, need has not decreased um, and farmers are still in search of markets because you know of decreased sales over the last two years so yeah it's a program that we hope to keep running it has an added benefit of um, just getting a lot of culturally relevant produce into the hunger relief pipeline we work with a lot of Hmong and Latino growers uh, through this program and also it's helping reduce on-farm food waste you know we're paying a fair price for this produce. So farmers are trying to harvest as much as they can to um, hit that, um, that cap, so. What a fantastic program for both the producers and the consumers. Another consumer that you have is school districts. They sound like a large customer for the Good Acre. Can you share some tips that you've learned um, that you could share with others wanting to make that farm to school connection? Yeah, absolutely. I think what we've learned in working with schools, school buyers is that you really just have to meet them where they are. No school district is quite like any other. Um, you know, the, the level of um, staffing that they have could be minimal. The type of equipment that they have can be different per school. Each school district is you just uniquely prepared to handle um, scratch cooking with whole and processed produce. Um, you know, every school is different on, on what level of um, comfortability they have with that. We've learned that you cannot just sell a thousand pounds of butternut squash to a school and expect it to go well. So we've worked hard to create some farm to school friendly recipes. We're lucky we have a kitchen on site at our facility. So uh, pre-pandemic, we would use that kitchen space to host uh, culinary trainings with nutrition services staff. It's a great team building tool. It's a great way to get buy-in from staff who aren't used to doing a lot of scratch cooking or who are used to receiving their produce, you know, chopped, diced, sliced, you know, ahead of time. Um, farm to school is cheaper at the end of the day. Scratch cooking is a money saver. You just have to get over the hurdle of, um, you know, the increase in, in labor it takes to get comfortable with, with doing scratch cooking. Um, so, you know, we've kind of, part of our programming has uh, developed to just support farm to school buyers, whether it be with culinary training, whether it be with securing grants for uh, kitchen equipment so they can do more cooking in their cafeterias. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a really rewarding partnership to have uh, a, a school using local produce in their uh, menu. But um, yeah, it's not just as easy as, you know, buying uh, <laughs> just a ton of whole unprocessed produce and hoping it hoping it goes well. And it's great that you have the kitchen staff that are wanting to attend those trainings. Could you talk a little bit more about what you do at those classes? So it's changed a little bit post pandemic. We've done a lot more virtual trainings and created a series of videos, but generally our um, farm to school culinary training focuses on basics like knife skills. Um, it focuses on recipes that you can um, make with uh, farm to school friendly kitchen equipment. Combi ovens can make roasting a lot 
faster um, and be done in a lot larger quantities than just like oven roasting. Um, steam kettles, tilt skillets, uh, robocous that can slice and dice and puree. Um, we focus on recipes that utilize those pieces of equipment just to help with, um, with, with time and labor really. So um, sometimes our trainings will be all about roasting. Sometimes they'll be all about using, you know, it'll be equipment specific or it can be produce item specific. Like if a school knows that they just really want sweet potatoes and want to learn a couple different ways to do it. So it really just depends on, on the school district and what they're in for. No uh, training is ever exactly the same, but yeah, I'd say they mostly either focus on a piece of equipment or a specific type of produce item. And from those classes, have you found any certain recipes that the schools and kitchen staff love to make? Totally. Okay. So one of our first like super popular farm to school recipes was our um, honey sriracha delicata squash. I've definitely, um, October is farm to school month. And so at the Good Acre, we were very lucky to get some invitations to dine in uh, school cafeterias during farm to school month to try some of their local uh, food items. The delicata squash is a super popular one. Uh, Parmesan garlic carrot fries is another popular item. I'd say that now with schools um, expanding from produce to proteins, we've, um, which I know is pretty popular in South Dakota, um, we've got, um, you know, turkey burgers with Ferndale turkey. We've got um, beef roast, like pulled tacos type, uh, type items that, that schools are really having great feedback from students about. Um, I'm trying to think what else, even just as simple as, you know, local beef hot dogs, you know, we try to come up with like a fun side or slaw to go with that with kohlrabi or winter radishes. So yeah, it kind of runs, runs the gamut, but I'd say the, the delicata is like an easy in for, for a school because you don't have to peel it and it tastes delicious. So that's a good gateway that's, vegetable. <laughs> if I was a student or a teacher at one of those schools, I would definitely enjoy eating at the school cafeteria on those days. They all totally. <laughs> what are the uses you have for your commercial kitchen besides the training? Right. Yeah, so um, we used to host cooking classes um, in the evenings. That has kind of been put on hold with the pandemic. Um, but during um, the rest of the 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 daytime we would do we would be renting out our kitchen to just small food businesses shared use commercial kitchens are a really important part of having a robust local food system you know we have a pretty good cottage foods law in minnesota i'm not sure if it's similar in south dakota but you know you can produce you know you can make jams and jellies and breads and baked goods from your own kitchen up to a certain extent before you're going to need a, a larger licensed uh, facility to make your product. So, you know, there's, um, I'd say there's probably, you know, there's a couple dozen different kitchen, you know, commercial kitchen options in the Twin Cities. We're just happy to be one that is also connected to a food hub that has a relationship with a lot of uh, talented farmers. So the renters in our shared use kitchen tend to focus on produce heavy items. So we have like, like, for example, we have a hot sauce maker who has a partnership with one of our farmers who grows a ton of different unique hot peppers. And so, you know, the receiving of the peppers, the storage of the peppers and the 
you know, the process of fermenting the peppers to turn them into hot sauce can all happen in one facility. Um, we get a ton, we have a sauerkraut and kimchi maker. So there's a lot of cabbage that comes right into the warehouse and then right into the kitchen. So we really prioritize those um, produce-based value-added food makers in our kitchen. Um, but now that we, we don't have classes, we've got makers in there around the clock. And um, yeah, it's, we were just always getting increased uh, inquiries for if we have kitchen space and can onboard a new maker. So yeah, it's on, it's ongoing. And it's a really great accompaniment to just to our facility. You know, it's a great way to kind of build community with um, between farmers and food businesses and in our community. So I love that idea of the food coming in and being produced and processed right all together. So that wasn't the, the initial thought of why we added a kitchen. We really thought whenever the facility was created that farmers would be doing produce processing. We were totally wrong about that. I think we've had a farmer come in once to shred cabbage. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we were just really surprised by the, the need of small businesses in search of kitchens. That was just the number one request we got through the website. As soon as we opened the doors, like, hey, can I borrow, can I rent time in the kitchen? Do you rent to food makers? Do you rent to food trucks and caterers? We do not rent to food trucks and caterers. Like I said, because we're really focused on those produce heavy, um, like consumer packaged food makers. Um, but yeah, it's just was a kind of, the kitchen was kind of an afterthought and now it's, you know, a great way for our food hub to diversify our, our revenues. And you were saying that the kitchen was set up initially for the farmers. I, I've heard that feedback that from the kitchen staff, they often say that they don't have enough time to take the produce and convert it into the meal for the student. Do you feel like if the farmers were able to shred their carrots or peel their potatoes before they sent them on, would that make it easier for the schools or is that just something that can't happen because of time? Is there some intermediary that could be doing that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Farmers processing their own produce is something that often doesn't happen, well, because of time, but also it's just a whole nother set of licensing. As soon as you cut or slice or dice a produce item, you're adding value to it. And so there's a whole nother level of, um, of licensing that you need to do that. Also, unless you have... Um, a lot of commercial equipment, it's really expensive to, to do. So, um, you know, unless you are working with a larger, um, you know, produce processor, um, it's just, we've, we've dabbled in um, like making sauce out of tomatoes or um, slicing and shredding carrots. It's just not very cost-effective to do it on a small scale. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. So it's like, do you send your produce to get processed or do you train your nutrition services team to process it in school? It's a conundrum. <laughs> and with labor shortages right now, I feel like the easier answer right now is to buy it pre-processed, which kind of excludes um, a lot of local farmers from the mix. So um, yeah, I think that our hope is to enable schools to produce uh, or to, to do more scratch cooking in the kitchens in schools. Um, that's a, just a lot easier way to get um, local farm produce into the mix. Thanks for helping me understand that limitation and why that is. 
Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for producers wanting to aggregate to school markets? Yeah, um, I would say make, you know, get to know nutrition directors in your area and find out what pre- produce items they may already be using that they could be sourcing locally. You know, apples are a really great gateway farm to school item. Um, so are potatoes and sweet potatoes. Um Hearty items like winter squash, like delicata, like I said, that was just a rock star (laughs) produce item. Um, Yeah, I'd say our top 10 farm to school produce items are, yeah, the winter squash, carrots, um, unique items like purple potatoes. I mean, go Vikings, but yellow and gold potatoes are a popular item here uh, for farm to school. But um, I would also just suggest to um, meet your school where they are with, you know, um, in terms of just being able to process produce, what their staffing levels look like, because asking them to um, take more time to uh, make something from scratch in their kitchen, it's kind of a big ask right now. Um, keep your eye open for opportunities for funding. In the state of Minnesota, we have agri-grants, which schools can apply for for um, equipment purchases uh, to better equip their kitchen for scratch cooking. There's also some opportunities, um, grant funded opportunities for farm to school uh, produce reimbursements. You know, schools have very small budgets for for purchasing, you know, the food that's served in school. And so asking them to um, pay more for a product that they should be paying more for good food. Um, it's a big ask. So working with the school to balance sort of their um, commodity spending with local food spending to get the price of uh, their meals down to where they need to be is, um, I think that would be a really welcome conversation. There's a lot of resources out there to help farmers understand what school nutrition directors are even working with. So Check out the National Farm to School Network has a lot of great resources um, for farmers who are interested in in providing produce for schools. I guess I would just say be flexible and always uh, work with your school to have a a plan B. We've had a lot of schools um, really bank on one produce item. And if there's a crop failure, then there there hasn't been a backup talked about, then that's a lost sale. You know, we've had a really tough time with brassicas with... um, really wet year followed by a really dry year. So I think it's really good. Make a plan B for produce items in case something comes early or doesn't come at all. Um, yeah, and just try to get, you know, the, the, the cafeteria is in a way an extension of the classroom. So also be prepared to share a little bit about your farm story because that really gets um, kids and parents excited. A huge reason that schools do farm to school is to increase participation in school lunch programs. And so the more that you can do to help make, um, increase that participation and telling the the farm story um, and the story about where the food that you're growing comes from can really help drive up participation, which helps schools um, with their bottom line. Thank you, Nikki, so much for sharing all of your knowledge and experience and telling us about how the Good Acres set up. It sounds like a really unique facility, but also something that pieces of it could be replicated in South Dakota. My pleasure. It's been great talking to you. If anyone wants to learn more about our food hub, visit thegoodacre.org. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on.
Thanks, Nikki. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the South Dakota Specialty Producers Association podcast. We'll be bringing you more episodes on aggregation for specialty crops. So don't forget to hit subscribe. Until next time, keep growing.